0: Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the privilege and the honor of gathering together as family this evening. Thank you for truth that continues to set us free, Father. What a blessing it is to know these things, to be edified by them, to be sanctified by them. Thank you for giving us faith through which your grace flows. Thank you for revealing to us the setting aside of the flesh and the Humility really is the key to the spiritual life. Thank you for reminding us of the fundamentals, Father. May we never stray too far from them. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross 2,000 years ago to make an evening like this one a reality. We do just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, the Gospel, Salvation, and Sanctification, Part 67. On Tuesday, we reviewed last week's lessons. Of course, uh, Resurrection Sunday service interrupted the normal flow of our curriculum. Uh, But on Tuesday this week, we reviewed uh, last week's lessons, beginning with a summary principle that speaks to the true value or the value of true faith. This was stated on Tuesday. Faith is the only way to understand the supernatural things of God. Faith is the only way, with emphasis on only. Faith is the only way to understand the supernatural things of God. Faith is a gift, as we know, which means the unregenerate individual cannot understand spiritually appraised things, cannot understand, other than in an academic sense, the supernatural things of God. The only way that we're ever able to touch these things to experience them uh, even is by faith and it's through faith that he pours out his grace but this is what scripture has to say again this is the summary of much of last week's efforts from the pulpit the value of true faith faith is the only way to understand the supernatural things of god again who gives us faith god does when we're humble of course and here's the passage that we keep coming back to i'll give you the message just to mix it up a little bit and give you a little bit more layperson language james 4 5 to 6 and the message you're cheating on god if all you want is your own way flirting with the world every chance you get you end up enemies of god and his way and do you suppose god doesn't care The proverb has it that he's a fiercely jealous lover. And what he gives in love is far better than anything else you'll find. It's common knowledge that God goes against the willful proud. God gives grace to the willing, humble. So who gives faith? God does. What's the channel for grace? Faith. How do we receive grace and faith? and humility. God gives grace to the willing humble. So to put two and two together, the thing that gives us the ability to see supernatural things is actually a gift given to the humble. It's almost like God says, okay, you're humble. I'll give you a set of eyeglasses so that you can actually see these things that I've got set before you. But before that, and you can, most of you can relate to that, five years ago, 10 years ago, you didn't see your life the way it is now. You didn't perceive the things around you uh, the way you do now. You didn't see it all as truth the way or at least to the degree that you do now. Amen? Amen. Well, those things are gifts, and He pours out, He gives each a measure of faith, so says Scripture. So He doesn't give us it all at once. He says, if you're humble, I will sanctify you. I will continue to set you apart, and when you're ready and humble, I'll give you more faith, which will give you more uh, vision, if you would. And those are all part of his promises and blessings. So I guess if you're feeling especially blind, quote-unquote, you may need to consider your arrogance. And just a little plug, I just finished a book on arrogance, just saying. Back to humility and faith, though. And extending it now into the realm of sanctification up here on the board, a little bit more from this past week. The value of true faith, the beauty of faith, is that it also gives us a transcendent peace. The beauty of faith is that it also gives us a transcendent peace. In other words, think of yourself when you lack faith. Do you have peace, or are you agitated? Are you anxious? Are you worrisome? Versus when you have true faith, the beauty of that is that you have a certain peace, a certain calm. Proverbs 12.20, Isaiah 26.3, John 16.33, Romans 15.13, Philippians 4.6, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Hebrews 12.14, 1 Peter 5.7. I guess the Bible has an awful lot to say about peace. So let's consult the Holy Scriptures regarding the peace of God. Go to Proverbs 12.20. We're going to walk this list up here to substantiate the point on the board which says... The beauty of faith is that it also gives us a transcendent peace. Proverbs 12.20 So I guess you could string the pearls together. I'm leading the horse a little bit, but you could string the pearls together as sort of a teaser to some of our conclusions. The peaceful person is the humble person. (laughs) If we receive his peace by faith, and faith is given to the humble then the humble have peace. So if you're anxious or worrisome of these kinds of things, you might want to check your humility because you can't force faith. This we've learned um, through Scripture and probably through experience. Uh, You can fake it. Uh, Some people say fake it till you make it, right? But that doesn't work in the spiritual life. Proverbs 12.20, Deceit in the heart of those who devise evil or is in the heart, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but counselors of peace have joy. Counselors of peace have joy. In other words, if you have any wisdom, uh, and it involves peace by faith, then you have joy. Counselors of peace have joy. How about Isaiah 26.3? Isaiah 26.3. And when I did a little side study on peace, um, this is just a hacked off list. I mean, this is a very short list of the number of passages that I could have taken you to this evening. The Bible has a lot to say about peace. When I, I don't know about you, but when I think about heaven, one of the first things I think about is peace. Because this world is dead set on agitating us, on taking advantage of its position under the leadership of the God of this world to persecute us. If they persecute Him, they're going to persecute us. This we know. So it's hard. It's, you have to cling to your faith the way the Bible says. Otherwise, you lose that peace. Isaiah 26, three. the steadfast mind, speaking of clinging, the steadfast of mind, you will keep, God will keep in perfect peace because He, that person that is... Steadfast of mind trusts in you. Again, the steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust, faith. They're almost synonyms, right? Because he has faith in you. So faith or excuse me, peace is actually given to the person who has faith. The one who gets faith is the humble person. There's your string of pearls. If you want peace in your life, you have to be humble. John sixteen thirty three, go there. John 16:33. there's too many control freaks out there, too many people trying to control their own destiny, too many people trying to tell God the way it's going to be, this is the way it's going to be in my life, i got a five year plan, God, get out of the way, I'll go to class because I'm a religious punk, I'll do these things, I'll look good, I'll play the part, I'll fake it till I make it, right, and I'll do all these things, and I demand that you give me faith and peace. And God mocks you, mocks you. Says, don't get all religious up in my grill. That's how he talks. (laughs) John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Why are you learning this thing tonight? Why are you here? I imagine at least, look, if it's not the majority of why you're here, it's at least a good significant portion. You want peace in your life, right? Hell on earth out there. Peace in here, fellowship, peace with one another, with God. John sixteen thirty three. these things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Well, that takes a certain element of faith, doesn't it? That has to be something changed. That's part of the new creature relating directly to our Lord and Savior. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Do you believe it? Or are you the person that's still wrangling, like I taught last week, wrangling and struggling and kicking against sin and evil in this world? Or are you just going to turn and face Him and be at peace? Because this is what He's saying to us. These things I have spoken to you so that, you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Go to Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13. <clears throat> Again, this is just to substantiate, folks. In case you were wondering what the Bible had to say about faith and peace, the point on the board is the beauty of faith is that it also gives us a transcendent Peace. Romans fifteen thirteen, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see sort of an amalgamation of things going on. Here. You see the Holy Spirit in there. Uh, obviously, that includes your human spirit as well. Um, but look, now may the God of hope, you have hope in there, fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of moving parts in there. Go to Philippians 4.6. But the point is that faith delivers up peace. Philippians 4.6. Be. Focus on be. Be anxious for nothing. That means, be means a state of being equals sanctification. This is what he's been telling us. This is that higher order concept that's been coming from the pulpit now for about a week that being is actually your sanctification. Sanctification becomes you. You are sanctified, which means that things that you don't necessarily do, but you are, you be them. And it's being that way that is actually your sanctification. Philippians 4.6b implies a state of being, sanctification. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, an awful lot on gratitude. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Go to 2 Thessalonians 3.16. 2 Thessalonians 3.16. We've got three more verses just to round out the principle on the board. I want you to see this fully and see the, the weight of it and as i alluded to earlier i could have just kept going i could have filled up this entire screen with scripture and more on the concept or the doctrine of peace and how it ties directly to faith second thessalonians 3 16 now may the lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance the lord be with you all in every circumstance you know it's easy to be that person that says, I have peace, peace, you know, uh, when times are easy. Oh, heck, everybody kind of has peace when times are easy. But the Bible simultaneously promises that we're going to be persecuted, that being in this world that we're going to find tribulation. That's the real challenge, and when those two things collide, that's when the peace that transcends human understanding, the thing that garrisons your heart, brings glory to God. Because you know for a fact you couldn't do that on your own. These are the gifts that God gives us. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 again. Now may the Lord of peace Himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. Hebrews 12.14, go there. Hebrews 12.14. That's how we know the, the phrase, you know, faith has to be tested for it to be consummated has come up as well this past week. We've studied that out in, in much greater detail uh, probably a few years ago now. The fact that faith has to be tested. Untested faith really isn't something you can depend on, so to speak. Hebrews 12:14. pursue peace. Pursuit is what a sanctified person does. Pursue peace with all men. And the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. And then finally go to 1 Peter 5:7. 1 Peter 5, 7. If you want peace in your life, it's by faith. And by faith, you do what 1 Peter 5.7 says. You don't wrangle. You don't struggle in your human power. You do this, 1 Peter 5.7. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Casting all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Folks, that's an act of faith. It's probably one of the most common acts of faith that any believer has to be tested with. And that, of course, uh, echoes of uh, 1 Peter one seven, the proof of your faith. When you do that thing, what happens? Casting your anxiety, all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. So if you notice, these peace verses are all a function of faith. And I invite you to go back and look at them in greater detail and context maybe. But these peace verses are all a function of faith. And that's the point the Spirit's been making here first off, in all of them, faith is implied, if not explicitly part of the Scripture itself. And again, just to put that principle to bed, the value of true faith, the beauty of faith, is that it also gives us a transcendent peace. As we've noted many times, and recently as well, this faith that gives us peace is in things unseen. That was an emphasis from Tuesday evening's class. It's a peace in things, or it's, uh, excuse me, this faith that gives us peace in things, it's in unseen things, not worldly, fleshly things that, are, that we can see and touch and interact with as unbelievers even do. Up here on the board. We went here on Tuesday, Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'll give you 1 and 2 in the message Regarding faith, the fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith, is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors, set them above the crowd. Faith is the things hoped for things not seen. A peaceful person sleeps well at night. So ask yourself this question up on the board. What's going to help you sleep at night? This came up as well on Tuesday. Knowing and reasoning or trusting with faith? A peaceful person, most would agree, sleeps well at night. Well, what's going to help you sleep at night? Knowing and reasoning Or trusting with faith. Let's put it this way. And I speak from personal experience. I'm not ashamed to say it. There's no end to human reasoning. There's just no end to it. Why? Because everybody's got an opinion. And as soon as you get a little bit more facts about this, that, or the other, there's more data to be analyzed. And you can spend all night analyzing data. Crunching numbers in your head until the wee hours of the morning. I'm really good at it. That's not a compliment. I got a problem. I got a lot of problems. but There's no end to human reasoning. So I don't sleep every night the way I should. Why? I guess I lack a certain kind of faith. I guess I'm over here reasoning things. I guess I'm not casting my anxiety on Him the way I should. That's just being transparent. None of us have made it. But I can tell you this, being a analytical chap, there's no end to human reasoning. But faith finds itself not just comfortable with, but abiding in the unknown. Think about that. Faith finds itself not just comfortable with, but abiding in the unknown. In other words... Just just pretend faith is like a person for a second. If faith stands in the known, he has no home. There's no need for faith because it's right there. So faith actually abides and is most comfortable in the unknown. It it, it lives in other words. It lives and breathes in the things unknown. So if you try to reason everything through, you're going to be attacking your own faith. You're going to be infringing on the very nature of faith itself. Faith says, I'm perfectly happy. I'm perfectly happy with the promises of God the way they are. I don't need to overanalyze them. Can I get some sleep now? And the flesh is like, "Ah, ah, ah." I'm biting at the faith, right? And destroying any peace that faith brings to the table. It's a beautiful thing to have faith because you don't feel the need even to overanalyze everything. You don't lose sleep because you say, as far as I know, God says this, and that's the way it's going to be. I was reflecting today on this principle. I often wonder how the children over at the Hasbro Children's Hospital are ever able to even smile sometimes. It doesn't have to be Hasbro, you know, a, a hospital where there's maybe terminally ill children. Another day they were born to die a, in a very short period of time. I mean, I mean, I wonder how they're even able to smile sometimes. I mean, some of them have literally grown up on gurneys. That's their life. They've literally grown up on gurneys in hospitals. I believe the secret is that they have accepted their lot in life. If you've ever noticed or been around that kind of a scene, it's a very interesting dynamic because, other than the physical pain and the wearisome, the wearing on a a poor little body like that, other than that, the distraught people tend to not be the kids. It tends to be those that surround the kids, which is a very interesting thing to consider. Because, in a sense, the kids have accepted their lot in life, it's all they've known. And again, they do this while others might struggle sometimes more than them because the other people have other experiences outside of the hospital. So, dwell on that this weekend. This point up here on the board. How is it that a young, ever-sickly child has more faith and is able to find a greater peace with their ailments than the adults in their life? How does that work? By faith, they have accepted their lot. So how is it? Think about those kinds of things. And then uh, apply the analogy to the spiritual life. Aren't we sickly? Weren't we born spiritually ill? Indeed. Doesn't Scripture say that while our great hope is that we will be totally cured, we will be totally cured, that for now we won't ever be? Isn't that true? We're never going to be totally cured until we make it to the eternal estate. We have the promise. We have the hope. But we're sick. So then what do we do? We have faith. Faith of what? A child. And what do we do? Like a sick child who grew up that way, we accept our lot. And lo and behold, we're doing better than the people next to us. So we have faith. And as we just noted in ample scripture, we ought to keep faith's perspective. When we have faith, we have peace. Faith may very well be the most beautiful thing ever given to us after Christ himself, who we received by faith. So it's a bit of a play. But think about it. When we have faith, we have peace. Faith may very well be the most beautiful thing ever given to us after Christ Himself. And I don't mean to make superlative here. I hope you understand what I'm saying. Some might be saying, no, it's love. Well, how do you get love? By grace. Well, how do you get grace? Through faith. So I hope you see what the Spirit's stringing together here. Imagine living a life where everything is beautiful. No. Yeah. Imagine for a moment living a life where everything is beautiful. And consider the old adage, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Doesn't mean anything has to change. This is one of the things that I mean This is one of the things that he's been teaching me as of late that one of the worst things that happens to someone in my position is they become disenchanted with people because all they see is truth all day long and then the world. And it's friction in the soul. But he's teaching me, he's saying... Enough of that. I think that was part of me with you. Training you up the last few years. Getting you to this place. That fight. The fight we've been through. Like with Mike Tyson type style. And now he's saying, "All right, I need you to change gears and I need you to stop focusing on the beautiful things in this world. Because I created a lot of beauty in this world. And it's not always a fight. So beauty is in the eye of the beholder. I believe that. Which means it's really just a change of perspective. I just purchased an album from a young man named Jordan Smith. He's a young Christian guy who happened to win the voice competition uh, this past year. I guess he's the number one selling voice artist of all time now. And he's only been—he only won it not that long ago. But there was a song on his album that I really enjoyed, and because he's a Christian, he's not afraid to sing. This is the guy who sang "Mary Did You Know" Um, on The Voice, and he's got a beautiful voice. But he's saying this—he sings this song called "Beautiful Things," and he sings a song that actually has First John four eighteen. There is no fear in love in the actual song. And I said, I have to play this for the congregation. I was listening to it. I'm getting all, you know, perky-jerky behind my computer, you know. And then he, then he said those words, and I'm like, did he just say those words? So I looked up his lyrics. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to play the song. I just want you to relax. I'm going to stand here and flip the slides because the song is new enough that there's no, um, what do you call it? So there's no uh, videos with uh, lyrics. So I'm just going to play the song and flip the slides. And you guys can just enjoy it. Don't worry about the lights. You should be able to see them.
1: If once in your life you wish you were someone else, if once in your life you thought there was no way out, if once in your life you'd like to save yourself Realize somehow there are beautiful things We lie to ourselves and hope it will come die We bleed just the same and think we're the only with the truth you'll win Just be yourself Just be yourself Somehow we are beautiful things Somehow we are beautiful things Is a man allowed to feel this happy In a world that's so sad. Play me your violin and sing me your love song. There's no fear in true love. There's no fear anymore. No more. When we make love, somehow those are beautiful things Yeah, Fantasies and memories are in a way because of things Somehow those are beautiful things God is a beautiful thing, our world is a beautiful thing, our mind is a beautiful thing, our bodies are beautiful things, and colors and wonders are beautiful things. Our voices are, your voices are, our voices, our voices voices. just see.
0: you enjoyed it. It's a beautiful song. Why have you listened to a song like that in the middle of class? Well, to our previous principle, when we have faith, we have peace. Faith may very well be the most beautiful thing ever given to us after Christ himself, who we receive by faith. I mean, if the Word of God says you were wonderfully made, that His creation is beyond human comprehension, that it is truly beautiful, that His imparting a soul at birth with life as we know it is a beautiful thing. That the cross as grotesque a display of human depravity as it was, is actually a beautiful thing. And so I just wanted to share that with you because those are some of the things that he's changing in your shepherd, and the way that goes typically is that's where he's going to take the congregation. That I tried to intimate this to you when I announced um, the schedule change, but there's been a lot of things that he's doing. We're kind of turning a corner as a family. You know, we've been through hell and high water, we've fought these ridiculous fights within ourselves. And he's saying it's time to step back and see beauty again. And not get lost in the mire. Not get lost in the fight. Don't lose yourself. That's what he keeps saying to me. Don't lose yourself in the fight. You know, there's a lot of people that go to war and they come back changed. They left themselves on the battlefield. He doesn't want that for us. He's saying, don't Lose yourself. He's saying, be sanctified. Sanctification becomes us then. Be who I meant you to be. Be wonderfully made. Be faithful. Live this life to the fullest in my grace. For the righteous man shall live by faith. So says Scripture. Surrender and gratitude become our sanctification. It's realizing that He's changed us. It's not so much how. It's not focusing on, well, now what do I do? Do I go pick another fight? Or do I surrender and live a life of gratitude for all that He's done, regardless, despite of the ridiculousness of this world, just realizing that He saves us daily ought to be sufficient. But we, we lose sight, you see. So He doesn't want us to leave and lose ourselves in the battle. So we aren't necessarily preoccupied with the how. Speaking of sanctification... We can't guess, anyways, how he's going to change us. That's futility. But we are able to look backwards and appreciate how he's changed who we are. He doesn't tell us, otherwise, it wouldn't be faith. He doesn't reveal to us what faith must cling to, the things unknown. But He does afford us the ability, the visibility, to look back and say, I can't believe how much you've done in me. And it amplifies His promises like Philippians 1.6, that He does promise to change you. But you're not looking for things that you've done. You're looking for how He's changed who you are. In other words, more on faith perspective, we aren't stressing out about how to become sanctified, we simply rest, that should be simply, not simple, we simply rest assured that He already has sanctified us. That is the key issue with faith. Faith and sanctification are so intrinsically bound, we might loosely think of them as almost the same. In other words, you're never going to be sanctified unless you have what? Faith. And if you have faith, guess what? You are sanctified. So these things are almost synonymous. So we're not striving anymore. I almost played, I said, no, I can't play two songs. Remember the song from 10th Avenue North? That was our first song. Um, Why are you striving for grace? Remember that song? By Your Side, I think it was called. We aren't stressing out about how to become sanctified. We simply rest assured that He already has sanctified us. That is the key issue with faith. Faith and sanctification are so intrinsically bound, we might loosely think of them as almost the same. I was thinking about examples in the Bible. You know, before Paul was converted, he had a lot of faith, but it was misplaced. He had faith in what? Religion, Phariseeism. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Not a whole lot, unlike a lot of you, may even have had prior to being saved, and maybe even a little afterwards. Some of you are admittedly Reformed doctrinal snobs. So, Paul was going along his merry way, and then along comes Jesus. Probably not the person you want to see when you're Paul at that point. He's still Saul, right? And he knocks Paul down, or his name's still Saul, but you get the point. He knocks Paul down on the road to Damascus, and he gives him his pearls. Go to Acts 26.14. Acts 26.14. It's funny how he sanctifies us, in other words. He doesn't say to Paul, you know, hey, go do X, Y, and Z for me, and you're sanctified. He says, no, I'm going to change who you are. I'm going to change you from the inside out, my friend. I actually have a mission for you on top of that. But he must have seen Paul's heart, you see. And Paul's heart was humble. And it's the humble heart that receives grace through faith. Acts 26.14 and when we had all fall, when when we had all fallen to the ground I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect Saul Saul why are you persecuting me It is hard for you to kick against the goads And I said who are you Lord and the Lord said I am Jesus whom you are persecuting But get up and stand on your feet For this purpose I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you, Allah sanctifying you, if you would, setting you aside, that's what sanctifying means, rescuing you, setting you aside, sanctifying you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles, to whom I'm sending you. In other words, he said, I'm going to separate you, and then I'm going to send you back. Sound familiar? I'm going to separate you from the world, and then I'm going to send you back with a great commission. Sounds like us. But he has to change us, you see, on the inside, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Up here on the board, there's our theme for this evening, obviously, sanctified by faith, that they're almost sanctification of faith, they're almost synonyms, reveals the nature of our sanctification. At salvation it is by grace through faith, Ephesians 2, eight and 9, which sets the pattern, it's always by grace through faith, it sets the pattern for sanctification from faith, positional to faith, experiential. And that's Romans one seventeen. Again, Jesus sets Paul's commission, verse 18, what is it? To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So that was Paul's commission to go out and evangelize the Jews and the Gentiles, especially as Scripture unfolds. But, As the Spirit's been pointing out now for quite some time, only the Spirit can truly convict the person of the gospel truth. An evangelist, and we're all one, can merely present the facts. All of them, of course, hence the first 20 hours of the series. Our job is not to try to get people to do certain things to prove their sanctification, their salvation, or any of this. Our job is to present the facts. Let God the Holy Spirit challenge them in their own souls. Let God the Holy Spirit um, search the deep recesses for someone's humility. That's not our job. So I was reflecting some more faith. What's the difference between a watered-down gospel and the full gospel? Well, the prior insufficiently presents the problem statement, which lacks the substance for consequence. In other words, don't worry about whether or not you're depraved or you need a Savior. Just believe these here words and let's celebrate. So a watered-down gospel is insufficient. In presenting the problem statement, which lacks the substance for consequence, the true gospel is meant to stir up humility if it is indeed present. That's what the true gospel will do. So it's our job, it was Paul's job, to present the whole truth about the gospel. And let that stir up what needs to be stirred up in someone's soul. Many times it stirs up arrogance, like a bee's nest. Get away from me. But sometimes, even though the, the way is narrow that leads to life, sometimes it'll stir up humility. And a person is changed from the inside out. But that's our job, to get it right. That's why we spent so many hours. Now add that thought to our two previous examples or principles. When we have faith, we have peace. Faith may very well be the most beautiful thing ever given to us after Christ himself, who we received by faith. Sanctification becomes us. Romans 1.17, the righteous man shall live by faith. Surrender and gratitude become our sanctification. It's not how we realize Well, we've been changed. It's that He's changed us. And then finally, faith's perspective. We aren't stressing about how to become sanctified. We simply rest assured that He already has sanctified us. That is the key issue with faith. Faith and sanctification are so intrinsically bound, we might loosely think of them as almost the same. Now, As we've been learning lately, so much of our sanctification is manifest in a single word. Gratitude. The easiest way to live a life of faith and sanctification is to fix our hope on Him and be grateful for His love, the same love that hung on the cross. So hopefully you're bringing all these things together, folks. This is not Pastor Ed waxing poetic here. This is Scripture as we've seen it. 1 Peter 1.9, for example, up here on the board. Obtaining as the outcome, the end goal, the sum, is what the original language says. As the outcome, the end goal, the sum of your faith, the salvation, deliverance, sanctification of your souls. In other words, God gives us faith. Gives faith to who? The humble. God gives faith to the humble. The faith sanctifies. Obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. So you have to string the pearls together, folks. It's the same old story. Humility is at the front end. Sanctification is at the back end. So you have to see what he's presenting to you here i'm begging you with every ounce of my being right now please understand that your freedom rests in your humility right now and that the spirit's reminding you to have the faith of a child right now let me give you the message version of the passage on the board up here on the board first peter 1 9 in the message you never saw him yet you love him You still don't see Him, yet you trust Him with laughter and singing. Because you kept on believing, you'll get what you're looking forward to. Total salvation. Total salvation. You see it? That's God's perspective. Total salvation. That's why at the beginning of this series, it was all about the big picture salvation plan of God it was the salvation plan of God God's not dealing with the construct of time to God we're already saved to God we're already sanctified so there's true value in faith understanding that perspective that we've already been saved we're already sanctified it's a done deal we're already victorious I know it's hard to believe when you go out into the stink hole called the world but that's What faith is, that we have a hope in front of us. That's total salvation, folks. And that's God's perspective on all of this. Not human reason, not the one that keeps you up at night, wrangling. Why do you think I've been presenting the two perspectives in our working framework the way I have? That wasn't by mistake, folks. Why do you think these things have been positioned side by side? All this time, God's perspective on the left and man's under the construct of time with their are tenses, even on the right. It's because of this, folks, that eventually this is what he wants. He wants you to take all that and arrive at the same conclusion that God already, in His omniscience, understands that this is all one act it's already been done as far as he's concerned our viewpoint is learned in pieces and then we realize that once we see the big picture our perspective becomes more like god's in other words <laughs> who cares what, you know who cares what's on the right hand side here think about it we're not even at ultimate salvation right But it doesn't matter because we are learning this right here. We're learning His perspective. And the more we learn this way, the more we're going to end up with His perspective. Everything that's on the right-hand side is anchored in the one thing on the left. But He has to take us there. He has to convince us along the way. He has to, quote, sanctify us. Same thing goes with this. God has one viewpoint of sanctification. We're carving up Scripture, nothing wrong with it, because these are the little bit-piece things that convince us. This is what the Word does, imparted, because we're slow compared to God. But this is what He's trying to do for us. He's trying to give us His perspective. He's like, listen, if you have my perspective, all this stuff is a done deal. You're not going to lose any more sleep. Because you know that when I say it's so, it's so. You have every reason to even boast in your hope in Christ Jesus. When this kind of faith is imparted to one soul, they are set free. No longer on just the hope of being sanctified, but rather that this big with this big picture perspective that is God's It becomes our sanctification. That picture on the board, that's who you become. You move from all the the details of life. Learning the stuff on the right-hand side is really just about getting you to understand what your life is. And how he's working in your life. But at the end of the day, this is what he's trying to give you. He's trying to say, do you want... Real hope? Do you want real peace at night? Do you want to be able to relax when you go home tonight? See it the way I see it. It's done. So this big picture perspective, which is God's, it becomes our sanctification. It doesn't matter, the details. And when that happens the contents of a verse like the following fades into the background like white noise. Go to Hebrews 12.1. Hebrews 12.1, when that thing happens, when you begin to see it, all is truth. when you're able to understand what God's trying to impart to you, then verses and passages like Hebrews 12.1 forward, they just melt away the issues, if you would, contained in them. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider Him who has endured such hostility by sinners against Himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So that you won't grow weary and lose heart. Well, I'll tell you, folks, if you have this perspective on the board, as your eyes begin shifting to the author and perfecter of faith, more permanently if you'd like to look at it that way, once you have divine viewpoint, God's viewpoint on all of this, you won't grow weary and lose heart. You'll sleep like a baby. Why? Because you know it's all done. It's already done. You're not going to try to strive anymore. You're not going to try to do anything anymore. You're going to be someone. You're going to be beautiful. You're going to be that person that God made you to be in Christ Jesus. And as long as you have faith in that, you'll continue on this road that we're on. Now, I'll just give you one more perspective before I close and... Anytime something heavy like this comes up, I sort of sit back and reflect. And I hope you do the same thing. I'm just sharing. The only problem with man is that he isn't happy with himself. And then he blames God. (laughs) This is my pet right now. I think I'm going to write a blog called I Was Born This Way. I kid you not. The problem with man is that he isn't happy with himself and then he blames God. Suffice to say for now that perspective is the thing you ought to be focused on more than anything. Do you need me to tell you you're a jerk? So? You were born that way, you were born with ass tendencies being the best I can right now, okay? But you are being sanctified. The great hope, the faith that we're being given, what's being imparted to you even this evening. Yes, you know what? You were born this way. But let's not wrangle with that. Let's not try to stratify, well, you were obviously born a much lower life than me because you sin this way all the time. And I only sin this way. Let's stop doing that thing. Let's stop striving to be sanctified. So I think I'm going to write my next blog and title it, I Was Born This Way. So suffice to say, perspective is what he wants you to focus on more than anything, which is something that won't change until you have the faith to step out of your flesh's comfort zone. Amen. I mean, there's a lot on this, but please, over the weekend, focus on your perspective. Just, if you have to re listen to this lesson, I would encourage it, obviously. There was a lot in here this evening. Then re listen to it. We are out of time, my friends. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of studying your word here this evening. We ask for your blessings as we take what we've learned out to a lost and dying world, Father, that needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen.